Hello and welcome to our Sunday morning Bible study here at the Monroe Church of Christ. I'm Derek Glover and uh, it is oppressively hot here in Monroe, Wisconsin. And so our building uh, being in Wisconsin, it would seem logical that uh, we focus our funds on heating the building uh, a good portion of the year rather than cooling it. This is pretty unseasonably hot. Uh, right now, and it doesn't usually last very long when it is this hot. So the building is warm. The fans are on. I may melt before your eyes, so just stay tuned because you might see something you've never seen. We are studying the uh, Jesus stories of the Gospel of John in this class, and we are nearing the end. We have this week and next week uh, to uh, wrap up the Gospel of John, and then we'll move on to other things, and we'll talk about that when the time comes. But for now, let's dive in. John chapter 20. Uh, we talked about verse 19 last week. And verse 19, or excuse me, chapter 19, uh, dealt with the, the conclusion of Jesus' trial and his crucifixion and the preparation and the burying of his body. There's not a lot of detail given about the, uh, the tomb itself, the stone and the seal and all, and all of that. And the reason for that is that's not John's point. All of those stories have already been told. All of that's already known. They know about Jesus. They know about the, the resurrection and, and, and the burial process. He is going to, to discuss and has always been discussing the, the divine nature of Christ. And he's emphasized that Jesus is God. He is the son of God. He's from God. He carries the authority of God. And really this transitive nature that, that what God is or what he has flows through Christ and thus through us as we accept Christ. So let's dive into chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. Now, this is interesting and also a, a really wonderful reason why John is the fourth gospel. Because if you read these in order... Uh, this, this passage here feels a lot different than if you just read John by itself and didn't know the rest. If you're reading through it and, you, and it says it was still dark and they, she saw the stone was already taken away, you would go, what stone? No one mentioned a stone. You see, there's gaps in John. But if you've read the other Gospels or if you're familiar with the story, you don't stop and think that there's a gap. He's talking to people that already know the story, but he's talking about a different part of the story. So, the stone's already rolled away. Verse 2, so she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Now, if you read Mark or if you read Luke or even Matthew, you'll see slightly different accounts of this story and that's okay. If that's a struggle for you, Come to our midweek Bible study. We're talking about how the Bible was written and how we got the Bible. And we talk about some of those things. Um, they're slightly different. But the concern seems to be that they don't have a solid explanation. And there's a lot of questions surrounding what has happened to Jesus' body and why it's missing. There was a great fear gripping them that they would try to somehow defile or destroy or uh, remove the remains and, and somehow try to humiliate or shame uh, the disciples. And so she, she expresses this concern that they don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth and they were going to the tomb. Verse four, the two were running together and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. Um, you can't, if you can't find some humor in the Bible, 
Okay, you're, you're really missing a lot. Now, remember who's writing this. It's John. And who is the disciple whom Jesus loved? We believe that's John. That's how he refers to himself in the writing. And he takes a, <laughs> this opportunity to let us know that in a foot race, he could beat Peter. All right. Peter gets all the headlines, but John was faster. And I, th I just find that humorous. So they're running together, and, and eh, John got ahead of Peter. And he, he went, and he gets to the tomb, and he stoops in, verse 5, and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him, and of course, because it's Peter, because he jumps out of boats, and he says things, and he pulls swords and cuts off ears. Of course, John runs, he gets there first, and he looks in, but he doesn't go in. Peter, right through. Get out of my way. I'm going, I want to know what's happening. So Peter flies inside, enters the tomb, and, when, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. Interesting. This was a period of time where they weren't really sure what was going to happen. Yeah, Jesus talked about going away, but they didn't quite understand the idea that he was going to return in the interim, uh, rise from the dead. And so they, for them, it feels like the story is ending. Jesus is gone. They've been defeated. They've lost. That's the feeling. We all know what, ha we know when we read this what's going to happen. We know what was supposed to happen. We have all this scripture before us to, to inform us of that fact. They didn't have that. Or, or they did, but they didn't understand it. Their, their minds were not yet open to this. And so when John sees and believes, he believes that Jesus' body has been moved. And he writes here that, they didn't know. They didn't understand yet. I mean, he's writing this as an old man, now reflecting, knowing the fullness of what was to come. And he says, we didn't, we didn't know. They did not yet understand scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. They've, they've separated. They've scattered. They've, some are together. Some are not. But they don't really have this bond, this community that they had. They're searching for what the next step is in their lives. But Mary, verse 11, was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. Now, what's coming next here is a little bit troubling. So let's, let's take it slow. She turned around and she, and, and, and she saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Okay. This is not the only time that's going to happen in the post-crucifixion period where Jesus has died, has been buried, and then he's going to show up in different places and people aren't going to recognize him. Sometimes it might be understandable that someone wouldn't recognize him. It's not like his name was in all the papers or his picture was on, on television. It, it was word of mouth, and it was if you had been an eyewitness, then you knew who, what he looked like. Well, Mary's certainly an eyewitness. She's been around him. 
So, and the disciples too, he appears to them in various accounts and they don't recognize him at first. A couple of different times. Why? Well, one explanation, and I think this, this makes sense, the power of the Holy Spirit can reveal, but it can also, it can also cover up. It can reveal things, and it can also conceal. And so there is a period of time here where there's things concealed from the disciples. When they see Jesus, they don't recognize him right away all the time until he's had a chance to say something that needs to be said so that they can begin to wrap their minds around something and then realize what they're looking at. I don't think this means his image or form or figure had changed. Remember, this is not the ghost of Jesus. This isn't Jesus died and was buried and his spirit has returned. This is Jesus in the flesh. He is reborn, life regenerated. He got up and walked out of the tomb. Okay, that, that's, we have to remember that. Sometimes we think about post-crucifixion as like, well, of course he's walking through walls and doing all these crazy things because it's the ghost. No, it's the flesh. He's still, he's still in, in, in person. But she doesn't recognize him. Now, I, think about this. If you're standing there, you're, cemeteries are kind of creepy places. A tomb in the side of a hill or, or a mountain, in a cave, a stone has been rolled away. Something, in your mind, very, very shady has happened here. Someone's stolen a body. It's a bit of an ominous scene early in the morning. and still dark, by the way. And you're looking around for some clue as to what's happened to your loved one. Now, if she were to turn around and see him standing there, you have to deal with seeing someone that you loved, that you were looking for, the fact that they're alive and the last time you saw them, they were dead. And the fact that it's just kind of a scary situation altogether. What would have been the reaction of Mary if she turned around, saw Jesus and knew it was him? I mean, it might have been more than she could handle. But instead, she doesn't recognize him. I believe that's the Holy Spirit working to prevent her from seeing what she wasn't ready to see. But Jesus is going to prepare her for it. So Jesus says to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, can you imagine being the savior of the entire world and being mistaken for the gardener? Oh, that's a shot to the ego. She said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And when, she, when he says, Mary, she remembers, she sees, it's revealed. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Okay. He said, hey, hey, don't. She's, she's all wrapped up around him, holding on to him. And he says, no, now is not the time. I have things I have to do. Go tell the others. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I've seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst. Now he points out the doors were locked. Okay, they were shut in there. They were hiding. 
They were trying not to be found, not to be seen, because their leader is gone. In their mind, he's dead. And they're afraid of what might happen. Now, you, now they receive the news that Mary Magdalene has seen him and, and that he's alive, but there's still great fear for what that might mean. If that rumor gets out, they might be coming for them next. And with the doors locked, Jesus shows up. This is one of those things where we look at it and go, goodness, what, is he in human form? Jesus could always have done those things. Uh, remember, he appears and disappears and reappears places uh, other times, uh, or at least that's the implication given. He shows up in their midst. He's in there in the room with them, even though he ostensibly didn't come through the door. Stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced and they saw the Lord. Or, excuse me, rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now, again, John returns to the theme. God sent Christ. Christ sends us. We are sent out as apostles, as disciples, as teachers, as evangelists. Because God sent Christ, Christ sends us. That transitive property of his divinity flowing down. Uh, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. In other words, I am bestowing upon you a measure of this divinity which I possess. God gave it to the Son. The Son gives it to the disciples. And he breathes on them this breath. This breath of life, this Holy Spirit, transfers it to them and says, Okay, what I have brought from the Father, I now hand off to you. This message, this measure of divinity, now carry it forth. And share it. Uh, here we go, verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. We're a little hard on Thomas. We, uh, my oldest son's name is Thomas. That's actually his middle name. First name is Stephen, which is a family name. Thomas is my wife's maiden name. And so uh, he, he, he goes by Thomas. And at a church I used to preach at, when he was born, and I'm sorry my glasses are fogging up in the heat, um, the church I used to preach at where I was when he was born, we told this uh, older lady there that we were going to name him Thomas. And uh, her response was, oh, oh, don't do that, because all I think about with the name Thomas is doubting Thomas. Isn't that funny? That's how we know him. Who of us hasn't wanted evidence of something? Who of us hasn't wanted that? Yet we call this person Doubting Thomas. Why? What's he asking for? Well, think back to what the, what the disciples were given when Thomas wasn't there. Thomas is gone. He's, maybe they sent him on a coffee run. He's out at Starbucks. They're all standing around. Jesus shows up, and what does he do? It says... He shows them his hands and his side. That's what it says there, uh, verse 19. He showed them his hands and his side. He showed who he was. He identified himself in a, in a conclusive way, irrefutable. He had the scars. He had 
the punctures and the imprints from his crucifixion. Again, further evidence, this is not the ghost of Jesus. His physical form has not changed. He still bears the markings of what occurred. As evidence, they got to see it. What's Thomas asking for? Only what they already got. They're saying, we've seen him, we've seen him. And Thomas says, hey, I'm going to need to see it the same way you guys saw it. He's not doubting Thomas. He's just Thomas that wants the same proof that everybody else got. I don't know that we should be so hard on the guy. He's not asking for anything that they didn't have. And by the way, not asking for anything that Jesus is unwilling to give. We're pretty hard on Thomas, way harder than Jesus was on him. Jesus doesn't criticize him or, or, or punish him or, or, or deal with him harshly. Look at this, verse 26. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst. He does the exact same thing he did before. Doors are locked, Jesus shows up. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here with your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, because you have seen, you have believed. Blessed are they who do not see and yet believe. Now, we look at that as a criticism. As if Jesus is saying, okay, fine, I'll show you. But it's much better if you were to believe without seeing. I don't think that's the attitude. Jesus gave proof to those he appeared to, the disciples, and then over a week later shows up and does the exact same thing again, but with Thomas there. And all he says is, hey, you didn't believe before, but now you do. Blessed are those who will accept me who won't see me. And who is he talking about? He's not talking about people who lack faith or need proof. Guess who he's talking about? Us. Any of you ever seen Jesus touch the nails, scars, and the puncture in his side? No, you haven't. None of us have. We rely on eyewitness testimony, and we believe the evidence, and we have faith. Faith doesn't mean blind faith. There are things we accept that we can't explain, don't understand, and don't see. Absolutely. But God doesn't ask us to accept him. Jesus doesn't ask us to believe in him without any evidence. He gives us evidence. The scriptures, in part, bear that evidence. And Jesus is simply saying there's going to be a lot of people, the vast majority of those who are saved, who will have never seen Jesus in person. They won't have the opportunity to do what Thomas is doing. He's not criticizing Thomas or calling him out or trying to label him as a doubter. He's just explaining something about the nature of faith, which is a new concept that's about to enter the picture. Because faith is going to have to be what guides us as our existence goes beyond the time of Christ. So maybe we should ease up on Thomas a little bit. Okay, verse 30 here, and then we're gonna, then we're gonna be reaching the final chapter in next week's installment. Therefore, Many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Why is this verse here? What did we just talk about? I, I, I was saying we should back off of Thomas a little bit because Jesus isn't hammering him. What he's saying is not meant to be a criticism of Thomas. It's meant to be an explanation and an instruction about what's about to happen. 
hey, he shows up and he gives evidence to the disciples. Thomas says, I can't take your word for it. I need to see it myself. Jesus shows back up, does the exact same thing again. Thomas asked for what they got and what Jesus was willing to give. And he gives it to Thomas. If he thought Thomas was in the wrong for not believing the word of the disciples, why did he show back up? Because he's gracious and loving and he's willing to do what was necessary to confirm what, is, what our hearts wish to believe. That he is who he says he is. So he shows back up and he, and he shows Thomas. He says, there you go. I'm, I'm willing to give you what you need. Now, understand, blessed are those who have not seen yet believe. That is exactly why the Gospels are written. And John says so in verse 30, because he starts with that word, therefore. He takes the words of Christ. Blessed are those who, have, who do not see and yet believe. And John says, because of that, therefore, many other signs Jesus also pre performed that are not written. I've written this. I've written these things down. He's even admitting, I'm not covering everything there is to cover. I'm leaving some things out. But I've written what I've written so that you who do not see will believe. The people who read this were reading it in the late first century, early second century, and it's been passed down and copied and included in our canon. And thankfully, we can read it and have confirmed for us the acts of Christ as it relates to his divinity. John is restating his purpose for writing. He wasn't out to show every story, tell every parable, show every miracle. He was simply there to show the things that confirmed the deity of Christ, the divine nature of our Savior, because that was the thing that needed to be emphasized in the time he wrote. Plenty of other people got the biography. John is making a case for his godliness. And he bounces off of this phrase that Jesus uses when he says, blessed are those who don't see and yet believe. And he says, hey, Jesus did a lot of things. I didn't write them all down. I wrote down what was necessary so that you may believe in him and have life in his name. It's a beautiful reason for writing. I love the Gospel of John. And we're going to wrap it up as we get to the final words that Christ will impart on this earth. And leave us yearning and hoping and waiting for the day we'll see him. Join us next time.